Today on the podcast, we're having a conversation about team tension. Even just the mention of that probably has you squirming in your seat right now. Well, my guest is my good friend and founder of Bold Side Consulting, Shelly Johnson. When it comes to tension in a team, Shell believes that the best teams don't resolve tension, but rather they learn how to harness it. So today I give her a call to talk about how to do just that. Joining me on the phone is Shelly Johnson, bold side founder and HR consultant you'll want by your side. Shell's led human resources teams for over a decade, coaching managers to become leaders people want to follow, build teams people never want to leave, and develop a culture that has people talking and applying. If you're looking for Shell, you'll find her work featured in many major publications around Australia. And when she's not doing that, you'll find her behind the microphone on the My Millennial Career Podcast, an Australian podcast award finalist, where she's helped thousands of people build a career they love via the airwaves. She's a highly qualified leader with a Master of Human Resource Management and a graduate certificate in organizational development under her belt. But more than that, she's just an incredible human being, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Shelley, welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. Ah, Shane, I'm so pumped because I'm a big listener of your podcast, and I love what you do so much, so it's a real uh, pleasure to be here. I can't wait to tell people how we met, Um, but first, before we get there, let's let's do the fast facts because I I love doing them. Um, Where were you born? What was your first job, and what do you do now? I was born on the Central Coast in New South Wales. And I, what was my first job? I worked at Subway when I was 13. I think I earned Great like five. Ground. <laughs> I think I earned $5 an hour and I used to sneak the frozen cookies in the like cool room because <laughs> they are frozen. They're not like, anyway. And then what that's, was the last? That's a scoop. That's a scoop right here. Like people who yeah. are listening, that, would, that blows my mind. Okay. Yes. I, I, I've got a lot of cookie questions. <laughs> they got, okay. They come in a big box and they're like, you know, a hundred in there and I would sneak the double chocolate ones and in the, in the freezer room and no, I don't know. It's a bit cheeky, right? But do you, do you still get them now? Like, is it one of those things when you're seeing the way the burgers are made, you don't eat there or do you still eat it somewhere? I actually, I, I, I try to avoid the cookies now. Yeah. I think I over, okay. overdid it. <laughs> what was, Just what was the last? bringing up trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. What was the um, last, last question? Is, what do you do now? Oh, what do I do now? Yeah. So I've just actually launched my HR consulting business, Bold Side. And congratulations. I've, thank you. I, it's been really fun. And I've worked in HR for the last 10 years. So really focusing on culture and leadership primarily. It's no wonder we get along so well. And I know. we always have great conversations. So I, I was introduced to you oh, maybe like... I don't know. It feels like forever ago. You know, you connect with these people you feel like you've known forever um, through a mutual friend of ours, Rowan Dredge, who was actually the very, very first person ever on phone calls with clever people. So how's that kind of for a full circle moment? Yes. Um, But introduced to you through him and uh, he was on your podcast and then you invited me to be a guest on your podcast. And I had just so much fun um, being on your podcast the first time that when you invited me back, which is always a huge compliment, um, when you invited me back... I, I don't say this lightly. You were one of the few people, you and M, who I would get on a plane for and fly to Newcastle to actually be in person to record the podcast with. Because you're just really, really fun people in general. 
Oh, Shane, that was such a good, so our like podcast, My Millennial Career, it, it is, we are, I think we're quite selective about who we bring on. So we were like, we have to, when you release your book, like this book is so good. We need Shane on the podcast and, and you getting up at like four in the morning to come and hang out in Newcastle <laughs> with us is just like the best, best thing ever. It was a lot of fun. And so when I saw that you'd launched your own business um, and you're doing some really cool stuff in the culture space and um, what I what I love about your brand, not just who you are as a person, it is kind of representative of who you are. You've got this really fun, kind of quirky, creative edge to you. Um, and so, yeah, obviously the opportunity to get you on and kind of have you on my podcast was something I was looking forward to doing. Um Let's kind of rewind the clock. So you said you've been in HR for 10 years. Um, did you fall into HR? Did you choose HR? Like why Why of all the careers that you could choose, would you punish yourself by going into <laughs> HR? <laughs> totally. Like I was such a good point. Um, so I did actually fall into it. Uh, originally I came from a youth working and youth, uh, youth and community services background and started in a HR administration role. And from there just kind of, worked my way up but I've always you know I love true crime and I love the weird <laughs> stuff that people do I'm obsessed with weird people stuff Shane like I just live for it and so I think HR is like a corporate version of just you get to experience the the highs and lows and the best and worst of people and so I've always been um into that I don't know how that correlates with true crime but I just that's an insight I love this I'm this is insight right because I think you're you're hosting a podcast you've gone into HR because there's true crime you are working your way towards becoming like a true crime podcast host Um, I feel like there's opportunity in that Totally. We, I would, Glenn and I, who runs My Millennial Money, uh, who oversees our podcast, we always talk about this idea of like My Millennial Murder, but like, I don't know if it fits the <laughs> brand, but like, <laughs> anyway, true crime is It's a, got real it's, potential. <laughs> I don't know, but we'll see. So you've gone through, in your HR career, you've seen all kinds of things, no doubt, as every HR leader has. Um, what kind of prompted you to then go out and start Boldside? Like, what was that transition like? And, and you know, what's kind of exciting you about doing that? I think for me, there's a few things. One of the things, common themes I've seen on a lot of the teams that I've worked at is this idea that teams avoid conflict. And so this, the notion bold sides really come out of this desire to help leaders take bold actions and help leaders have bold conversations at work. Because I think when teams can have those discussions, when they're not stuck in that zone of playing it safe, they can make huge impact in their industry and in the products they're selling. And, and I love helping leaders to do that. So for me, that's been the driving force. And there's been so many times, Shane, over my career where I've sat down with teams and, and just thought, oh, there's so much underlying conflict here that no one's talking about. And how can we as a group become more bold, more courageous in the conversations that we're having so that we can actually make a bigger impact and have a bigger difference? Oh, I love that because... Look, I don't know any organization that I've been with, any individual that I've worked with who just says, Shane, you know what I love? I love having a difficult conversation. I mean, there's there's been one or two and they're the people who are more likely to end up on a true crime podcast down the track. But like most normal people don't like those confronting conversations, those difficult conversations. Is that your experience? 
Yeah, well, that's right. And it, and it would be weird if you're like wake up in the morning, you're rubbing your hands together and you're like, I can't wait to just ruin someone's day. Um, <laughs> like, but I, I think it's, you talk about this in your book, like of reframing difficult conversations. It's, mm. it's has to be a part of work because work, we bring in so many different personalities into our workplace. And of course that creates tension and, and some strange dynamics at times, but it also creates some amazing, powerful opportunities. And mm. the way that we have discussions that, yeah, okay, like they, they are sometimes difficult, but they get more difficult if we avoid them. Yeah. They, they become a lot, a lot more challenging. So it's how do we be bold, but also come at conversations at, in the workplace with a sense of humility and desire to understand other people because that's where we can get to this zone of once I understand you more, once I appreciate your unique perspective and I can draw that out, we can navigate this weird and wonderful space together. That's so true. It's like um, I think we we maybe even talked about it in the podcast we were on together, which was this idea that Le Leanne Davies talks about, which is, you know, carrying around unresolved conflict is like carrying around debt. You eventually have to pay back the principal, but by carrying it around longer, you have to pay back the interest with that. So you have to do the thing that you were avoiding all along, but now you have to do it with the excess of carrying around the principal, which is the worry, the concern, the frustration or the tensions and all those things that go along with it, right? Ah, oh, it's that is such a good analogy and good way to put it, Shane. Like I think we, we, I know, I, I, it reminded me as you're talking then of I think it's Henry Cloud's book Necessary Endings, which is a hilarious title of a book, um, where you know at, in work there's times where we have necessary endings, and those are some of the most difficult conversations leaders have to have when we. It, and he talks about this idea of getting close to the pain, mm. and how do you get close to the pain in your team or in your organization? And one of the things with pain is we often, our natural and default position is to withdraw. So mm. I'm, oh, this person is like behaving badly. They're being passive aggressive or they're, um, you know, causing conflict. I could go in there and, and confront it or, or try to deal with it. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to withdraw because it's painful. And what that does is eventually that just becomes worse and worse. And the people who actually pay the penalty of that is not the leader. It's the team around them. And that's where you start to see people yeah. leaving, your high performers leave at the expense of an underperformer. All those kinds of dynamics play out. And I love helping teams solve that. And I think this concept of how do we have conversations around tension in the workplace is so crucial. Yeah. I like that you use the word tension because I think tension is one that elicits all kind of an emotional response for people. So when you think about, you know, if you're listening, you're a leader of a team, I go like my team just has this, it has this tension in here at the moment, or it feels like everyone's walking on eggshells, or it feels like there's this unspoken kind of force at play within our team. So like, let's get on the same page in terms of like, when you say tension, like, what do you mean? Like, what, what does tension look like within a team? Yes. Uh, so to me, tension, I love what you're saying. It's tension isn't bad. And I think mm. that's what we need to understand because a lot of leaders look at tension like this when they see it as a, something that they can either avoid or resolve. So there's two mm. options. I avoid tension or I resolve it. For me, there's a third option. It's how do you harness tension? 
tension is this force and it's actually a force for good if we can harness it. So I want to ask you a question. Mm, I'm ready. Uh, you're ready. I'm not ready. I'm not <laughs> ready. Just not... give us some, let's create some tension here. Like let's just pause. <laughs> and, okay. Ask me. I'm ready. <laughs> so what is your favorite film score? Like your the music to your favorite film? Oh, there's, there's one that's on Interstellar. There is a there's a track that's on my liked playlist. It's one song. I can't tell you the name of it, but it basically starts beautifully and then it builds into this amazing crescendo. It's um, incredible. Like Hans Zimmer, right? Is he the is he the Interstellar Look, guy? Don't we can test check- my musical trivia. <laughs> or fact check that. <laughs> so, Interstellar, the soundtrack, the film score for Interstellar is so beautiful and incredible. And for me, my favorite. I'm obsessed with. I've always like loved. Uh, the music on films and my favorite though, like this will show my kind of um, interest in fantasy novels and movies is Harry Potter. So the opening theme of Harry Potter, like when you hear that and you see the Warner Brothers um, logo coming through and it's got the gray on it and you're like, you know, I could kind of like feel like I could almost sing it because I like <laughs> I love it so Look, much. I'll let I'm- you, I'll let you and we can decide <laughs> whether you want to edit it out later on. <laughs> Um, that very well okay. done. Oh, thank you. And like super pitchy, right? But we'll deal with that. We can cut that out after if we want. Um, so that if you think about any good film score, we think Dark Knight, Interstellar, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, any of those things, the one thing they have in common is tension. They build to this beautiful tension and that's what they're there to create. And it becomes this masterpiece of creating this dramatic, creative energy. And in our teams as leaders, we're the conductors of tension. We're like mm. that person conducting the London Symphony Orchestra. We're, des- we're building all these different parts, all these different instruments that have different purposes to create this climatic tension and draw in people Mm. and we're drawing. And and that's what I think one of the things when it comes to culture on our teams, we can look at this idea and go, I either need to avoid it or resolve it. But as leaders, we can really harness team tension to create this masterpiece. And that's what I want to help people do in their work is to is to find those ways of creating all these different instruments bring them together all these different parts and then how do you leverage them to create a whole mm. I love that because immediately when when you're saying like we're the conductors of our team and an orchestra I'm thinking I saw this video recently of like a, a band playing and it was like all second grader music people and it was just absolute chaos and I know there's leaders looking at their team going like I feel like I'm playing I'm the conductor of a two-year-old um a second grade <laughs> band and it just sounds <laughs> horrific but you're right yeah. tension's so important right because I, I I think about in my first book Lead the Room we talk about you know this old adage of public speaking which is tell them what you're going to tell them tell them tell them what you've told them or something like that which is kind of like go see a really great movie and start with the ending of the movie then show them the movie and then show them the ending of the movie and it's like well you've just lost all the tension that could exist that actually creates this really cool you know 
uh, you know, energy. experience for people and energy for people. Yeah. And so you're saying tension can actually be a good thing to have within a team as much as it can feel a little bit uncomfortable at times. If it's if it's harnessed and managed, it can be a good thing. But if it's yeah. avoided, no, it's, of course it's chaos. It's like that person r- like running a, you know, band with their 12-year-olds and they're like, oh, gee, these kids aren't that great at music <laughs> yeah. unless you've got a prodigy for a child or something. I don't know. I just think... How do we look at it in a different mindset, Shane? Like, mm. How do we see it in this different way? And it is the difference to me between an average team and an exceptional team. Yeah. And it's about having those different perspectives and bringing those to life within your own team. Yeah. How, how would you know, like if you're leading a team, how would you know if you've got good tension or bad tension? Like how do you distinguish between that? Yeah, that's such a good question. So a few signs would give away an unhealthy tension. So things that we would look for would be there's taboo. Taboo, Mm. if there's this sense of, oh, this is off limits, we're not allowed to talk about that here. And instead of talking about it in a meeting, we talk about it in small groups outside of this context. That's yeah. that's a sign that there's unresolved conflict. And there's little glimpses and it's usually quite subversive. So we need to dig under. And I know Patrick Lencioni says this amazing thing in his book um, on organisational health, in The Advantage, he says we need to mine for conflict. Mm. So as leaders, we're miners of conflict because it's not just out on the, out in the open. It's often in the in the corridors and it's in the teams chat between two people where they're like, oh, this bloody meeting's a joke and oh, we shouldn't have to be here. You know, yes. there's so much of that happening that you're not aware of. And if you're not mining for it, as he describes, we're not going to see it. So it's being attentive and it's not just assuming, hey, we're all good because everyone's telling me they're all good. It's looking for the signs. So I often also look at the body language in meetings. You can see it in a meeting and you know those ones, you've been in them, where people start to shut down. People start looking down, they start pulling away from the desk, they're folding their arms, they're closed off and body language is such a good indicator. The other thing I look for in a team context is when people are eyeing each other off when stuff's being communicated but they're not talking. Yeah. So you're just looking for the subtleties and that's where you start to dig in. You go, hey, I noticed in that meeting you really started to pull away or I thought you might have shut down. Talk to me about what was happening there. And you're uncovering, you're mining for conflict, you're mining for tension. Mm. And would that be an example of like if you do that, that can produce a really healthy conversation which is leveraging tension and harnessing tension? Absolutely. You're bringing it to the surface. So we want to, the thing that we want to do first is find it and bring it to the surface. That's our step one. Mm. We want to know the points. There's always going to be tension on teams. I, I, I think even in the most healthy teams, there's tension. That's a good thing. So we always want to be looking for it, finding it and bringing that up to the surface. That's our first step when it comes to dealing with tension. I th- you, you go. Sorry, you were going to say yeah, something. I, I, the, when you talked about the whole idea of people coming into the meetings and like they're having the back channel conversations, um, we were talking about a friend of mine, Alicia Mackay, who was a, another guest on the podcast. And we were having this conversation about team meetings. And she said in, I guess, unhealthy teams or, you know, probably a lot of teams, to be honest, there's always three meetings. 
for every one meeting. And she said, there's the meeting before the meeting, there's the meeting, and then there's the meeting after the meeting. And she said, I, and I think the goal that. of a healthy team is to try to just reduce it down to one meeting. Um, Cause you think about like, if there's conflict and there's these are unspoken conversations, people team up or they have those kind of conversations leading into it. They get each other on their side and then they go into the meeting, they show a united front and then they go and they debrief after the meeting. And I think that's a good example of like where you could see unhealthy tension within yeah. a team. They're like, if we could just harness this, then we could actually bring it to the surface, talk about it and use that to kind of condense down our conversations to be, well, let's talk about it in the room and have a much more healthy conversation. Oh, that's so good. I love that idea. Let's just bring it down to one meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so first thing, so when you, you've identified tension within your team is do what we can to bring it to the surface. Um, exactly. What's, what's next? The next thing? for me, Shane, is to acknowledge it and actually mm. just say it out loud. So, okay, we find it first, but one of the things I find is leaders often know there's tension once they've uncovered it, but they don't feel like they can call it out. So they don't feel mm. like they can say, hey, like, I know this is a problem. Someone's raised it because they, they, I don't know whether it's keeping up an appearance or if it's kind of creating this, um, wanting to show a certain facade, I'm not sure, but the the second thing we need to do when there's tension is to harness, uh, to acknowledge it. Sorry, can I just mm. do that again? The yeah. second thing we need to do is to acknowledge it and acknowledge that it's valuable. So I, I was running a workshop the other day with a client and it was this amazing team and they, they've got this beautiful, authentic culture. And in one of the conversations, the staff member, one of the team members said, I don't know if I want to talk because I'm feeling like I'm a bit, I'm feeling like I'm a bit vulnerable and I, I might cry. And she was like, I, I feel like I could, um, this is it. This is a real challenge for me. And so we kind of worked through and she came up to me in one of the breaks and said that. And I, I, we talked that through and said, okay, well, well, what's the risk if you don't say anything? Like, what's going to change if you, if you don't say anything? Oh, well, nothing. It's like, well, yeah. what's the risk of that? Well, the problem stays the same. Okay. Well, well, what are you going to do? I'm I'm just going to be brave and, and do it. And she didn't, and, and, she, and it was an emotional kind of um, response, but it was so powerful because it changed the course of the meeting because everyone rallied and they're like, oh, finally someone's, someone's brought up what's happening and acknowledged the pain that we're all experiencing. They had the boldness to say it. And mm. it was just this beautiful powerful moment for this team where we saw such a dramatic change in the course of the whole workshop. And I think we need to have those moments where we acknowledge what's happening. And, you, and you'll often find teams have these typical tension points, right? Like we have tension between sales and marketing. We have tension between <laughs> product and engineering and finance and HR. Like finance and HR, I, I, I go, it's always <laughs> tension. It's like, they're like, you're spending too much money on wages. And we're like, we need more people there's these natural points, but what we want to acknowledge is, hey, this is a good thing that we've got difference of opinion. It's actually a really healthy thing and we need to find our way through it together. We need to come at it together rather than just digging our heels in and going, well, like we just see it differently and I'm just going to agree to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Acknowledging is a, is a huge piece of the puzzle because it's, I often think about like if you were in a meeting, um, you know, one of the things that you go, well, 
everyone knows that there's the tension. Like I think when you sit there and go, well, we're not going to acknowledge it because maybe if I don't acknowledge it, no one will sort of recognize that it's here. I'm like, no, everyone's seeing it. It's like having a person, like a team of five. It's like having a sixth team member walk in that's just from, not from your organization and just takes a seat at the table with you. And everyone's kind of sitting there and going like, who is this guy? And what's he doing here? <laughs> and everyone's going, is, is anyone else going to mention this guy sitting in our meeting? And like, it's just there the entire time. It's like we, when you acknowledge it, you're like, hey, can we just acknowledge this random person that's just walked into the meeting right now or this random thing that shouldn't, that doesn't really necessarily belong here. It's like, Oh, okay, great. I'm glad you see that too. Cause it's not, otherwise it might be just me. That um, is so good. <laughs> well, I, I think what often happens, I don't know what I'd be interested to hear your experience is we often acknowledge tension through silence. And so the way we acknowledge tension is we just kind of sit there and everyone feels uncomfortable, but no one actually talks about it and addresses it, right? So I'll give you an example. We were out at a, um, an event and a friend of mine was there and there's a small group of people talking and, and another person kind of entered the conversation and, and made a, a pretty racist joke. Like, I don't think they were intentionally trying to be racist. Um, actually, I know they weren't intentionally trying to be racist. It was a, an old mindset that had, you know, was probably funny 10 years ago. It's just not funny anymore. And, and I watched the dynamic of the group. Everyone just went silent. No one laughed at it. And that's typically how people tend to deal with tension. Rather than acknowledging it, they just move on. They go quiet and they move on. And then one person in the group just goes, and that's what we now call racism. And just like in a really hilarious way, address <laughs> it. it. And everyone laughed at that, called it, acknowledged it. And I tell you what, it just, it, it addressed the issue, but it acknowledged the tension. And, uh, yes. and as soon as they did, everyone went, oh, everyone kind of like put their shoulders down a bit and then we could move on in the conversation. But just acknowledge it can make a huge difference, right? Yeah. And I mean, it, what, that's just reminded me. I remember, I remember on our podcast, we did an episode on um, sexual harassment, actually. And we talked about how pervasive it can be. And the guests who spoke on it talked about this idea of when you're confronted with something that's really difficult and awkward and uncomfortable, like your example of, of, casual racism, how do you respond in the moment? Because a lot of the time we, yeah, we go silent because it's so awkward or we ignore or overlook it or downplay it. And she said this thing of what we need to do is ask the person to repeat it. And mm, I was wow. like, oh, I, I don't know how comfortable I am with that. And so she said one of the strategies for dealing with sexual harassment at work was to say to the person who made that joke about somewhat like an inappropriate joke. Oh, I'm sorry. Can, I think I misunderstood. Can you say that again? And then it's like instantly calling attention to the uncomfortable nature and asking them, I I'm sorry, did you just say what I think you said? Yeah. And I think the power of that, now that's a pretty challenging thing to do, especially over an issue like sexual harassment that's very complex and challenging for many people and, and, and full of shame and so many dynamics that we often want to withdraw from. But I love what she was saying because it's putting the issue where the issue resides mm. instead of the people around it having to pick up the pieces of the problem. It's saying to the person who's causing the problem, repeat that. And think about how that's impacting the rest of us. And I think we can do that in a number of ways. When there's a meeting and someone says a passive aggressive comment, hey, wait a second. Can we just can we just stop and and I'd love you to 
dig into that thought a bit more because I'm I'm kind of not understanding where you're coming from or I'm you know and it's challenging stuff and it's confronting but mm. it actually helps to draw out what's really going on not laugh it off or yeah. or just overlook it yeah even as a leader, I've found, I, I see this more probably as a facilitator often. One of the questions when I hear something that makes me go, oh, that was a comment that created tension within the team. We can go, hey, thanks for your contribution and move on. And and I feel like that's avoiding tension. Um, the harnessing tension is my, my default response is, hey, that's an, a really interesting thought. What does everyone else think about that? Yeah. Like, what do you actually think about it? Let's talk about that. And then allowing that person to sit and listen and actually have people people verbalize what they actually think about that rather than people going silent and letting the comment just kind of die. That's a harnessing tension moment. Is that Absolutely. kind of what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And and I even think if you start to in your if you're running a team meeting and you see exactly what you just said, Shane, happening, the other thing I try to do is to draw on the quiet people in the group. Yeah. So you look around the group and you think, well, usually it's dominated by maybe three people who have uh, a verbal processes like myself. I'll, I'll talk all day, um, <laughs> but, but someone needs to tell me, Hey, sh shut up for a sec. And in a nice way, obviously, yeah. but draw out and say, Hey, Rach, I'd love to hear from you on your thoughts on this and bring that out of someone. So don't just, mm. if, if you've got those quiet team members, be proactive about getting their opinion on this stuff because they'll often have a perspective that you've missed and you haven't yeah. been able to capture. So really getting uh, proactive about hearing from the the full collective voices rather than just the strong ones who are verbal processors. Super helpful. I love this. So bring it to the surface when you when you've acknowledged like bring the tension to the surface and then acknowledge that it's there. Is it what else, what do we do then? Yeah. So I got two other things that I'd encourage leaders to do in this space. The third step is to suspend judgment and activate mm. curiosity. And I don't know about you, I what your process with the, you writing your book is, but I've been writing a book and we're just about finished. Uh, we've got two weeks before we have to hand the manuscript in to the publisher. And I've been working with a team on it and we're co-writing. So it's a whole different experience in and of itself. And one of the things I've noticed in myself, Shane, as I've been doing this project has been how judgy I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just, I've got this default judgment thing going on. And I was, um, found that as I kept being super critical and judgmental of the work, of my work and also other people's on the book, it really stifled creativity. Mm. So it really stopped us from making progress because I'm like, constantly judging the the quality and assessing and, and having this real critical lens. And so if we want to be able to create something exceptional, we have to be able to suspend that judgment for a time and then move through with this curious lens. How do we become more curious? How do we, instead of, you know, kids do this amazing, kids are amazing at this. Like mm. adults, are we're not good at it, but kids can do it so beautifully. They're curious about problems. They're not threatened or judgmental about them. And so how do we activate that? And there's some good questions that we can use. Like, hey, I'd, you you said it really well before. Like, tell me more. Tell me mm. more. I want to know your your perspective. I'm interested in what you're saying. I think we're looking at this situation differently. I'm keen to know where you're coming from. I'd love to learn more from you. So questions that open up conversation rather than 
seek to um, judge or mm. yeah, pass judgment. I think that's really important when we're in this space. Yeah, especially because judgment can shut down conversation really quickly. And, uh, you know, I always find, you know, the, the understanding is a big piece and someone's like, there's a difference between I don't understand what you're saying and another person who would say, help me understand what you're saying. They have yes. two very different kind of uh, approaches to it. One is I'm kind of judgmental of what you've said. The other is I'm actually just so trying my best to understand it. And I need your help. Um, even if you like, cause I think one of the things that that's often comes out of this is that um, when we say suspend judgment, we're saying, well, don't be critical or don't disagree or, but it's actually not that right. It's, it's yeah. about activating curiosity is about going, Hey, maybe there is the possibility that I'm wrong here. And even if I'm not, I still want to better understand this person's point of view or this person's perspective. And what do you think, what do you think is the value in, in suspending judgment and activating curiosity? What do you get by doing that? You get all the ideas on the table. Yeah. And that's where when when tension's stifled, it's because we're not allowing those ideas to come to the table. We're not allowing those diverse things to get brought to the surface because we're, we're saying, no, there's only one right way of doing things and here's what mm. it is and we're passing that ju- – and that's a judgment call, right? And yeah. so if you think about even – if we compare this to the design thinking process, design thinking starts with – the let's get as many ideas out in the open as we can, like the diverse perspectives. And then over time, once we've got as many as we can, we start to converge. So I'm not saying that we don't end up having to pass judgment as a leader at some point, but it's not in the early stages. It's in those early stages where we want to gather all the info. Mm, I love that. All right. Lucky last. What's the last step in all of this? We've, We've brought it to the surface. We've acknowledged it. We've suspended our judgment. We've tapped into curiosity and activated that curiosity. And then we're... And then the last thing we're doing is we're practicing dealing with tension. So we're, if we think about that orchestra, they don't just get up. As the London Symphony Orchestra doesn't just get up and play. They, they practice. They don't just show yeah. up on show night. They're practicing day in, day out as individuals and as a group. So it's... Mm. It's this thing of a, a, as a team, we need to practice this in every meeting. So we don't want to be at the point of, oh my gosh, we've got this huge, big ass drama that we need to solve. And <laughs> yeah. now we need to build this muscle of dealing with tension. We actually want to do it day in, day out. So when you see it, if you see that corridor conversation happening, hey, can we talk about that? Like, what, why didn't you feel like you could bring that up in the meeting? Is there something I'm doing that's making you not feel confident to share that? Yeah. Or, hey, I noticed in that me- that meeting you were on uh, Teams chat the whole time and not engaging. Like, how did you feel? Yeah. And and so you're, you're practicing in every moment. When you're seeing those small things, you're building the capability to harness tension. And then when you have bigger issues, bigger problems come up, you've already developed that skill set. And so it becomes easier over time. And it's just that idea of every moment is a chance for us to practice this. And we're not always going to get it right, but we mm. are going to be intentional about dealing with this dynamic within the team and wanting to bring diversity and diverse perspectives to the forefront and then mm. figure it out together. We're all playing different parts. We're all, we all have these different roles that we're playing within this team and that's the beauty of it. So how do we consistently do that over time, Shane? That's to me what, I think makes a high performing team and yeah, it is, it's not an easy thing, 
Like it's yeah. so challenging, but it is about how do I just practice it day in, day out. Yeah. What what I love is this idea when we talk about practice tension or practice leveraging tension, practice, practice leads me to believe that it's not something you start great at. Like it, like anything, like playing a musical instrument, learning to drive a car, learning to ride a bike, anything that we learn, uh, anything that we do excellently down the track, we never generally start good at it. And so it's something you've got to develop and practice with your team over time, I can exactly. imagine. Exactly. A hundred percent. I love this. So when we're thinking about tension, what stood out to me is you go, you've got two choices, avoid it or what was the other one? The, um, resolve it. Resolve it. And you're throwing the third mixture into this, which is actually you can harness you, it and leverage yeah. it in a team. So do you want to walk us through those kind of four, five? Yeah, four things. So the, four big. Absolutely. There's four things we can do. So first is we find those hidden disagreements or conflicts, find them, bring them to the surface. The next thing we do, Shane, is to acknowledge the value of it. We want to acknowledge the tension within our team. I love your example of you've got, you're in a meeting and there's this random person there that no one's, <laughs> I go like, no one's the, talking about or addressing. Is that person? Like <laughs> that's tension. And so we want to acknowledge it. We say, Hey, this, this, this guy over here, like we can all see what's happening, right? Like we all know yeah. it's there and let's talk about it. And then the third thing we want to do is just suspend judgment and really activate curiosity. How do we become more curious and get as many concepts, diverse perspectives on the table so we can see where each other are coming from? And the last one is then we practice dealing with it. We practice how we want to engage in these conversations as a team. How do we want to handle these things when they come up? And we do that intentionally day in and day out. Super practical, super helpful for people who are listening. I have no doubt. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I, I've used it quite a lot in a whole lot of different contexts, even clients that I work with, is a quote by Andy Stanley. And he said, is this a problem to solve or is this a tension to manage? And I love that thought because he said there's a distinction between something that's a problem to solve and a tension to manage. People will go, well, how do you know which is which? He said a problem to solve is something that you can address and it goes away. But attention is something that you address and it keeps showing up and it keeps showing up. And I think we try to often as leaders try to solve tensions and we get really disheartened or discouraged when the tension shows up again. And it was really never a problem to solve. It was a tension to manage. And so there are tensions in your team. One of those is difficult conversations. You don't go, great, we had a difficult conversation once that thing's gone. Like it's dealt with. <laughs> we don't have to address that again now. Like it's a thing that you practice over time. And so tension doesn't have to be something you could avoid or have to resolve. It actually can be something that you leverage and harness and manage over time, which is really super helpful. Now, uh, I want to bring this into land. I want to give you like an imaginary soapbox to stand on. Like what's the thing that like around team tension, like think about one leader that you've got in mind. They're sitting there listening, going like, like what's, what's the benefit of tension? Like what, get on your soapbox for a minute, just for like 30 or 60 seconds. Like what, what would you say to that person who's listening right now? Oh, I would say that the best teams don't resolve tension. They harness it and they do that through practice. They do that through getting in there, having the conversations, m watching what's happening on their team, the small things. Don't look for the big things. Look for those small moments. Look for the eye contact in meetings. Look for the body language and see what's not being said and then dig in like that Patrick Lencioni beautiful quote of mining for conflict. See yourself as that. Put your mining hat on. You're there. Get in there. Dig it up and then have more conversations about this stuff. Ah. 
Brilliant. Brilliant as always. Hey, Shell, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast with me. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Bold Side, which is, you know, doing great, great work with people. Just really quickly, what's some of the kind of things that you do through that work and, um, and what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, so I do... Uh, team cultural workshops. That's one of my main things that I do with Bold Side and leadership coaching. And uh, the way, best way to get in contact with me is on LinkedIn. So Shelley Johnson. And we also do My Millennial Career, awesome podcast about building your dream career and loving your work. It's really fun. We do lots of it's a cool things there. Podcast. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you you do a phenomenal podcast, and I know the both times I've been on it, I've had so many people reach out and go, "Oh my gosh, how did you get onto that podcast?" I listen to it all the time, oh. and I was like, "Okay, look, <laughs> yeah, I'm, what about I'm obviously a chosen people? one." <laughs> well, <Yeah>. That's good. <laughs> totally. I'm like always so pumped to like just have conversation. I could honestly have like a weekly catch up with you, and I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever." <laughs> Oh, this is a great, with that kind of response, you can come back on the podcast absolutely anytime. I'm going to put all of the details for people to connect with you in the show notes. Um, Shell, thanks so much for joining me on on the podcast. Thanks, Shane. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.